All right. Well, good morning, Trace. How are we feeling this morning? Great to see everybody. Uh, if you're new with us today, I want to say something, especially on, on the other end of that long video. Uh, we don't want anything from you today. You are not expected to give. It's a gift to us that you're here. Many people have been asking us about how to set up reoccurring giving. So we thought we'd go through that quick explanation for those of you that have been asking as we get closer to our commitment Sunday on March 12th. Um, but I, I do want to say just welcome to those of you that are new. If I didn't get an opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're not in a hurry today, uh, after we're done in here, I'll be out at Next Steps in the docks area of our lobby. And I would really uh, love if you come by and just say hi. I won't keep you long. Just want to say hi, introduce myself, allow you to introduce yourself, and uh, we'll kind of take it from there. Sound good? Well, hey, if you missed last week, we gave away $20,000. Uh, that's why you don't miss church, guys. That's why you don't miss church. And for those of you that weren't here, I'll give you a quick explanation of what we did. We did a reverse offering. And in these envelopes we handed out was either a $100 bill, a $50 bill, or a $20 bill. And on this envelope, it says your story matters. And for those of you that did get one of these, um, I really do hope that you're being sincere in the time that you're putting into praying for God to lead you to maybe a specific person that needs a tangible gift in their life, a tangible reminder, a tangible reminder that God sees them. I mean, haven't we all gone through a season where maybe we would say, yes, we understand you know, the basic tenets of faith and we understand salvation and all of that, but we just needed to know that God saw us, that God knew what we were going through and that he was with us, his presence was close. And uh, I've done this exercise a handful of times now. And I would tell you, I have been blown away how God can use something like this to, to show people that he sees them to show people that he's there. And I've heard several stories of people, because we've done this, if you're new to Trace, we've done this a few times now. We have given out these envelopes and heard stories that people were despairing life until they got this. And it wasn't necessarily even the money as much as it was the intentional act of somebody saying, here, hey, God thought of you. Um, God knows your story and your story matters. Uh, we've heard people that weren't going to be able to make rent and they got one of these envelopes and sometimes paying their rent barely. Uh, remember last week, I asked that if you had the means to do so to double what was in these envelopes. And so I hope and pray that this faith exercise really does help us to see the importance of being available to the Holy Spirit in our life every single day that he, it really does wanna prompt you to see people differently. And maybe this is something you continue to do on your own. I would encourage you to do so. And so hopefully again, you keep these with you. You've been praying for them. By the way, I love these kind of stories and how God uses them. So if you wanna email me, I've got the longest email known to mankind there. Uh, if you wanna email me and let me know how God uses this in your life and how he used it in the life of the recipient of this envelope, man, I would love, 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 love to hear those stories. Well, if you did miss last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and watch that sermon because we're in this plus one vision series. And I would tell you that every single one of these sermons really is a step. It's a step of faith that we're taking together as a church, as we're preparing for where God is taking us next. And so a quick recap of where we've been. In week number one, I talked about how I wanted to start with a prayer. I wanted to make sure that as a church, that the priority of Jesus was the priority of us. And so the priority of Jesus was to bring the message of the gospel, the good news of his kingdom and his saving grace to people who didn't know it. That was his priority. 
And so we started with a prayer, God, give us a holy discontent for those who don't know Jesus. Give us a holy discontent and unsettling in our spirit for those that are far from you that need to know about your saving grace, about the hope of heaven. And then in week number two, we talked about the importance of inviting and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our lives in every single area. There there would be no areas off limits to that guidance. And we admitted, which I think is important, we admitted together that there have been times, and maybe currently for some of you, that there have been times where we have said, God, we'll take all of the good stuff that we like. But when it comes to this area or these areas, we're gonna kind of close that door and lock it because I really don't wanna hear from you on this particular subject. And what we do is we kind of stiff arm the Holy Spirit when it comes to the things where it's like, yeah, I really don't wanna feel that leading or that guidance or that conviction because I'm pretty set that I'm gonna do this my own way. And we determine we're not gonna sing the song, some to Jesus we surrender. Instead, we're gonna say all to Jesus, all to Jesus we surrender. No area is off limits to when it comes to his Holy Spirit's guidance in our life. And then last week, we looked at the importance of trusting God, specifically trusting God with our finances and how we wanna set aside the first 10% of all that God gives to us so that we could give back to him, not because he needs our money, but he demands our heart. And God will never be first in our heart if he's not first in our finances. Don't take it from me, take it from Jesus, because throughout the gospels and throughout the New Testament, he communicates as much. And that leads us to today. And let me start here. When it comes to how church is done, or when it comes to how church should be done, I would tell you that there are a lot of opinions. Let me emphasize that, a lot of opinions. Uh, Oftentimes those opinions aren't rooted in theology as much as they're rooted in opinion, as much as they're maybe in tradition or in preferences. Some people like a more traditional approach to church with hymns. Others may say that they appreciate the loud music and the lights. Some prefer what's called exegetical teaching, which is verse by verse teaching through books of the Bible, where where others would prefer a more topical approach where you look at topics, but through the lens of scripture. And I would tell you, we try to do our best to have a blend of both. Some people want the gifts of the Holy Spirit on display at a high level, while others prefer something a little bit more predictable and tame. Today, I think we could even say that this younger generation is looking for the church with the cool vibe, right? The cool vibe and the cool pastor, to which I've said to you before, I have no desire to be, to be cool, but I don't mind being a little bit crazy for Jesus, you know what I'm saying? I think we need a little bit more crazy for Jesus, amen? So I don't mind being a little bit crazy. So outside of all of those opinions, outside of all of those preferences, Wouldn't it be a healthy question to ask, is there a biblical model, is there a biblical model for church? To which I would say, yes, there actually is. In Acts chapter one, if you don't know this, if you're new to the church, uh, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke wrote his gospel, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And so um, in Acts chapter one, Luke talks about how Jesus ascended into heaven. And what Jesus is doing is he's following through on what he said he was going to do. He ascends into heaven and he tells us, he says, it's better for you that I go because if I don't go, then the Holy Spirit can't come because right now I can only physically be with a certain amount of you. But when I leave, the Holy Spirit can be within all of you. And so Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down. And we see this happen in Acts chapter two. 
two, the Holy Spirit comes down and starts to give the followers of Jesus at that time, the people that have surrendered their life to him, gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. Then Peter, on the same day, this is called the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and he begins to preach. And as he's preaching, it says that 3,000 people, think about that, 3,000 people were saved on that day of Pentecost. Now, the reason I even take the time to describe all that is because at the end of Acts chapter two, Luke gives us some, some insights into the way the church started, right? This is the beginning of the church. Acts chapter two is the beginning of what we now know as the Christian church. And so Luke gives us an idea, some descriptors of here's what the church looked like. Here, here's what they did consistently. Here's how they began to put a little bit more formation to their faith. We get to read this in Acts chapter two, beginning in 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, God's word. The, apostle teaching, the apostles' teaching is what we now have as a lot of our New Testament. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, some people would say that in this context, breaking of bread means uh, just sharing a meal together. I would argue that he's talking about communion here because when we go down a couple lines here, we'll read here in just a second, in the same text, it talks about how they broke bread in their homes together. So I don't know why Luke would differentiate the two things in this text unless the breaking of bread in this context is communion. I think it's communion. So to the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They gave sacrificially. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. So I want you to notice there was a large gathering in the temple courts. They gathered together in the temple courts and there was a small gathering in their homes. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, number daily those who were being saved. So if we were to put those in categories, I believe what, what we have is five pillars of kind of the function and the focus of the early church. It was a devotion to God's word, communion, prayer, sacrificial giving, and gathering together, both large and small. And I think one could argue that these five pillars should also be the priorities of the church today. Now, by all means, it doesn't mean it um, encompasses all the focuses the church should have, right? There's a lot of other focuses the church should have, but as far as the function, how the church kind of functions, I think that these would be the five priorities of the church today as well. I think a great question for you to ask if you're in a small group this week is this, out of these five areas, if those are that important, out of these five areas, which one do you think that you need to grow in the most? And so maybe you could wrestle on that question with your small groups. Now, for our time today, I wanna look at one of these. And the reason why I wanna look at just one of these is because I would call one of these a first principle. And by first principle, what I mean is if we get this one wrong, it will heavily affect the impact of the others in our life. And so today what I wanna look at is the importance of being devoted to the word of God. So let's jump back to that statement. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted, devoted, devoted. 
From time to time, I'll give you a Greek word for something that's in the New Testament, a text that we read, because uh, the New Testament was written in Greek. And sometimes by looking at the Greek, it gives us a better understanding of the word that we're reading. In this, in this case, I would tell you that the Greek word for um, devotion is incredibly important. It's the word proskartario. Pro, proskartario. It means to live in a constant state of relentless pursuit, persistent and steadfast, to not drift away. It's a consistent pursuit with a steadfastness in our spirit to stay devoted. One of the things that you've heard me say several times from this stage is that drift happens. Drift happens in our faith. All of us have likely gone through a season of life where we have drifted away from God. Sometimes I call these spiritual colds where we're not where we want to be maybe and we know we're not where God wants us to be and so we've just kind, kind of drifted. It's a very common experience for almost every believer. But can I suggest something to us today? Can I suggest something? Is it possible that if we were to look back at those seasons of drift in our life, that we would conclude that a common denominator of those seasons of drift would be that we weren't devoted to the, to the word of God. That in those seasons, we would all maybe admit, for most of us, that during those seasons, we would admit that we were not devoted to the word of God. And so the natural byproduct of that was to drift. I want you to hold that thought. If you were to go back and look at the early church, you would see a group of people that were absolutely sold out when it came to the gospel. I mean, sold out for the mission of Jesus. They had no context for being a casual, comfortable, or cultural Christian. For them, it was about being fully devoted to the pursuit and message and gospel of Jesus Christ. They had this kind of whatever it takes mentality. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. When I was uh, young and dumb, uh, I would tell you that I prayed this prayer hundreds of times. Literally, hundreds of times I prayed, God, whatever it takes, get me to where you want me to be. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, God, get me to where you want me to be. But what you need to understand is the reason I prayed that prayer so repeatedly is because I was in a perpetual state of drift. I knew I was walking away. I knew who God was. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that what I was doing is not what he wanted for my life. And so I was in this perpetual state of drift and I didn't want to do it, but I had started down a path that I couldn't figure out how to step out of. And I would pray, God, even after wild nights and long nights of partying and coming home and right before I passed out, I'm telling you, I did this hundreds of times. God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, get me to where you want me to be because I know this is not it. I know this is not it. And I would tell you that God answered that prayer. And the answer to that prayer for me was a jail cell at 19 years old. That was my wake up call. Can I take a time out for a second? And I wanna to speak to the students in the room. Students, would you be so bold to echo that prayer? God, whatever it takes, would you get me to where you want me to be? Because some of you would admit right now 
that you have started down a path that you don't know how to step out of. You started to make some compromises, maybe in your purity. You started down this road in a relationship that you shouldn't be in. You started to exhibit some behaviors around certain friend groups. And you know, as well as I did when I was about your age, where it's like, I know, God, this is not what you want for my life. But you started down a path that you can't figure out how to step out of. Would you be so bold to pray, God, whatever it takes, would you get me to where you want me to be? Because I think you'll answer that prayer for you. And I hope it doesn't need to be something as drastic as it was for me. Can I talk to the adults in the room? Because some of you, going back a couple weeks when I preached that message about how we want to invite the guidance of the Holy Spirit in all areas of our life, no areas being off limits, that some of you were convicted because you know you put something in that closet and you've locked the door and you've decided to keep going down that path of thinking, that path of compromise, whatever, whatever it is. And that message was convicting for you because you know that that area has been off limits to the Holy Spirit's conviction. And again, the way that I've described this before in the past is that you're stiff arming the Holy Spirit. God, I'm trying to do good in all these other areas. I'm trying to do what you, but when it comes to this area, you just stiff. I don't wanna feel convicted about it. So the way that I can kind of keep myself from being convicted about it is I'm just gonna stiff arm you. Would you be so bold to start praying today? God, whatever it takes, can you help me to open up all access to every point and place in my life for your guidance? In other words, God, whatever it takes, even if you have to break my arm that I've been stiff arming you with, metaphorically speaking, whatever it takes, I would tell you that, let me say that differently, I hope I hope that for the majority of you, it doesn't take something so drastic as some really unfortunate circumstance or event to happen in your life that finally becomes your wake-up call. Yes, wake-up calls do wake us up, but here's the real question. The question is, can you learn how to wake up before you get the wake-up call? Can you learn how to wake up before you get the wake-up call? And I'm here to tell somebody today, I'm here to tell somebody today that for most of us, it doesn't need to be anything drastic. It simply needs to be a stronger devotion to God's word. That if you really do wanna wake up, if you wanna step out of the path that you started, that you feel stuck in, for most people, it starts with a deeper devotion to God's word and his purposes and his calling in your life. Proscartario, proscartario. That we would be devoted with a, a type of resilience that would help us to avoid the unnecessary drifting in our life and in our faith. Many of you have heard me say that what you love the most will get the most of you. What you love the most will get the most of you. I pray that all of us would start to have a deeper sense of love for God's word. The fact that this book is such a gift, this is my grandpa's Bible, by the way, that this book is such a gift, such a gift. Think about what life and faith would be like if God didn't give us instructions. Think about what life would be like if we had to guess the way that Jesus lived. We've got this, this is a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift that God has given us. We get to know the heart of our heavenly father. We don't have to guess, we can know. 
We can listen and watch the ways of Jesus. We can get to know God so that we can better show God. That's the purpose of this. It's not some legalistic approach where it's like, read your Bible so you can be a good Christian. No, it's getting in this book so we can know the heart of God so that we can show the heart of God. Let me read to you several passages that talk about the importance of this book in our lives. In Hebrews chapter four, the writer says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, which means without it, we rely too much on our own intellect. Don't we do this? We rely too much on our own feelings. We rely too much on our own experiences. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to this young man named Timothy who he is mentoring and he says, Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, which means without it, we're unprepared, we're ill-equipped, often misinformed, and we're quick to give ourselves permission to follow through on decisions that often lead to the, lead to the very drift that discourages us. In John chapter eight, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, which means without it, we don't know what's true. And if we don't know what's true, we start believing lies. And instead of being set free, guys, we often settle for bondage and brokenness. Maybe the most candid that Jesus ever spoke on the subject was when he was concluding his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven. I don't think he can make it any more clear than how he makes it here. He says, therefore, after teaching a lot of incredible truth, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, which is the word of God, his words become the word of God. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And it fell with a great crash. In short, Trace, when we don't follow through on what God has asked us to do, we fall. We fall for the devil's lies. We fall in love with the wrong people. We fall short of our potential and our purpose. And we often fall into the current of this culture that will very quickly cause you to drift away from God's purposes in your life. This is why one of my personal mantras that you hear me repeat often as your pastor is that I wanna educate, equip, and empower you to stand firm. You know what the opposite of falling is? Standing firm. But specifically standing firm in the gospel. No matter what happens, 
Standing firm begins by saying, I'm going to proskartario. I believe this, guys, that if you want to stand firm in your faith, it begins by having a deeper level of devotion, proskartario, to this book. To get to know the ways of Jesus, to get to know the heart of your heavenly Father, to get to know how he's called us to live and to love. Can I tell you something that may come as a surprise to some of you? I don't always want to read this book. Ooh, right, your pastor. And I got the same excuse as you do. Tired. Maybe I lack the self-discipline. Maybe I'm too busy, whatever it is. But the reason that I've committed to making my time in this book a healthy and consistent rhythm in my life is because I know what it's capable of. In this book are the words of life and death. In this book is the hope of heaven. In this book is a kind of grace. It's radical. Like all the people that have walked around with so much guilt when it comes to the lives that they've lived against God can know by reading this book that it all can be forgiven like that. If they'll just turn around, repent and come home to the Father. In this book are the ways of Jesus. Think about that. We get to see how Jesus walked on this earth and his wisdom and the things that he taught. I would tell you this book is capable of so much more. Here recently, I looked at a study. It was a very um, strenuous study. They put a lot of time into this, even a lot of scientific data that came out of this study. It was very interesting. But in this study, they determined that if you were to read the word of God at least four days out of the week, okay, If you were to read the word of God four days out of the week, not like an hour at a time, like 15 minutes every single day, that fear and anxiety would drop by 14%. Anybody feeling anxious today? Feeling lonely would drop by 26%. Is anyone feeling lonely? Feeling discouraged drops by 31%. Feeling self-destructive drops by 32%. Anger drops by 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops by 40%. Alcoholism drops by 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops by 59%. Feeling spiritually stagnant, kind of what we're talking about today a little bit, drops by 60%. Pornography use drops by 61%. Sharing your faith, however, increases 228%. And giving to a church, trusting God with your finances, increases by 416%. In other words, I could sum it up this way. When you allow the word of God, next slide, it's coming, there it is. When you allow the word of God to show you the ways of God, it will become one of your greatest weapons against the weariness of this world. I don't know if you caught it, but that was seven words with the letter W that begin with. That's called alliteration and preaching. Alliteration leads to memorization. Come on, somebody. Thank you. Actually, it was only six words. I said seven. I already lied. Let's leave that up there for a second. Can we let that settle in? When you allow the words of God to show you the ways of God, it will become one of your greatest weapons. I mean, think about everything we just heard. It will become one of your greatest weapons against the weariness of this world. Anybody felt weary lately? Because <laughs> I have. Let me close with this. 
this past week uh, was the beginning to something that a lot of churches call Lent. And it's a traditional um, process that they go through between uh, now and the Thursday before Good Friday. And even though we don't fall, um, or I shouldn't say fall, even though we don't practice those liturgical, traditional liturgical experiences, I would tell you that I do want us to experience something similar together as a church. Uh, between now and Easter Sunday are exactly 42 days. And over these 42 days, I want us to become more devoted to God's word, okay? I want us to become more devoted to God's word. And so what I did this last week is I put together a reading plan for us where we're gonna read one chapter a day, every single day, starting today, by the way, between now and Easter Sunday. And I was trying to look and see what the best layout was to, you know, what books of the Bible we should read. And I picked three of my favorites uh, because I think both um, the importance of knowing that Jesus is one with God in the book of John. We're gonna read the book of John. James uh, is the brother of Jesus. I would tell you it's the most practical book in the Bible. And then the book of Romans, which is really the book about salvation. And so three really critical books, really critical books in the Bible. And as I put those together, I'm like, oh, guess what? That equals exactly 42 chapters. Here's a cooler part, ready? And I call these winks from God when I'm doing these, these kind of things. When we're reading through the book of John together at the end, so we're gonna read through James first, then Romans, and then John. As we're reading through John on Good Friday, guess what you're gonna be reading? You're gonna be reading about the crucifixion of Jesus. On Sunday, on Easter Sunday, guess what you're gonna be reading to conclude our time together? You're gonna to be reading about the resurrection of Jesus. And so I just thought that was a wink from God as we do this together. Proscartario, church, proscartario. Let's become more devoted to the word of God, not because we need to check some list. Some, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a good Christian. I read my Bible today. That we get to know the, excuse me, the heart of our heavenly father. We can know his heart. We can know his ways. We can know his will that we would become more devoted over this time together. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna send an email out today and we're also gonna show you kind of our D1 Bible study plan if you wanna take this a layer deeper. You're gonna get an email today as long as we have your information. If we don't have your information, make sure you get uh, a connection card filled out so we have that. But we're gonna send you an email today talking about this Bible reading plan. And then if you wanna take it a layer deeper, um, here's what I like to do. Here's what a lot of people have done. Um, by the way, I've done this, this entire method through every single chapter in the entire Bible and would tell you it's one of the most life-giving things I've ever done. And I just did it one chapter at a time. Uh, you read one chapter a day. When you read that chapter, and again, we'll be reading the same chapter, write out a verse. Maybe there's a verse that specifically stood out to you. Maybe there was a reason why it stood out to you. And so you write out a thought. Maybe it's a question. Why did this verse stand out to me? Or what is it about this that I don't know? And maybe you seek out deeper understanding on what, what it is you're reading. And then take a moment. Guys, so often as believers, we, we have a one-way approach to prayer. And we just ask God for what we need. Maybe we say thank you for things, but we forget to listen for him. And I, I say this so redundantly, but I think it's important that you hear me say it redundantly. I've never heard the voice of God. So when I take a moment to listen for the voice of God, it's usually surfacing thoughts in my mind that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to focus more on or to lead me to. And so I wanna give God a moment. Maybe it's just a minute where you're just silent for a second and you say, God, is there anything that you're wanting me to think about more deeply, more intentionally on what it is I read today? Is there something you need to point out to me and just kind of give him a moment and see if you feel him guide your thoughts in a particular direction? Give him a moment, give him a moment. And then share that if you wanna um, 
you know, have a better um, amount of retention in what you're learning, take a moment and share that with somebody else. It's a really good form of retention when you share what you're learning with someone else. I wanna take this a layer deeper, okay? Between now and Easter, I would also like to encourage you to fast from something. And one of the main purposes of fasting is so that whatever you gave up is something that you're going to want. And every time you go back wanting that thing, it reminds you of what you're trying to be more devoted to. And so maybe in this case, it's a deeper devotion to God's word. Maybe it's a deeper devotion to prayer. Maybe it's something that you're wrestling with God about right now and you're just wanting to seek more clarity from him about something very specific. And so I want you to give up something, something up, something that will be difficult. Maybe for you, it's social media. Uh, maybe it's a certain type of food. Maybe it's dessert, maybe it's sugar, whatever it is, maybe it's soda. But can I make a suggestion? Can I make a suggestion? Can I suggest that if you enjoy a drink from time to time, if you like to partake, that you would give up alcohol for this season? Now, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, you know we're not a legalistic church when it comes to this subject. And we even give room and space to, for you to be who you are. Guys, I talked to you about this up at the men's retreat where we don't wanna create subcultures within the church where it's like, hey, behave this way when you're here, but you have the freedom in Christ to go have a beer if you wanna have a beer or a glass of wine or whatever it is. And so we're not legalistic about this, but the reason why I wanna suggest alcohol is for a couple reasons. Number one, doing what I do, I would tell you that I see this particular thing cause a lot of devastation in people's life. I mean, we know what alcohol can do, right? It can be incredibly uh, destructive. It can be incredibly addictive. It can be incredibly self-medicating and we go to it for the wrong reasons. And so even if you don't have a problem with it, okay, I'm not even saying this, if you have a problem with it, I'm just saying because it has that potential, I would encourage you to do this every year. Have a, a, a time period that you have dedicated where it's like, you know what? I'm gonna practice the discipline of quitting. I think this is incredible for your spirit, by the way. I'm gonna practice the discipline of quitting. And so between now and Easter, if that's you, I wanna encourage you to set the alcohol on the shelf for 42 days and so just kind of submit that time and that devotion to God, okay? And hopefully you hear your pastor's heart on that. I'm not legalistic about this, Okay. I'm gonna pray for us right now and I'm gonna lead us into a time of response where I want us to really think about these things. I want you to think about what it is you need to give up during this time. I want you to think about proskarteria, what it means to have a deeper devotion to God's word. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word and the gift that it is. We, we overlook this so often. We really don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder that we can actually go to your word we can listen to your voice. We can see the ways of Jesus. It's incredible. Father, I pray that over the next 42 days that as a church family, we would become more pros carterio, that we would become more devoted to your word, that we would get to know your ways, that we would get to know the heart of our heavenly father so we can know you and therefore better show you to a lost and broken world. Father, I pray that if there's something very specific that you wanna put on someone's heart in here today of what it is they need to give up for the next 42 days, that you would help them to see their tendency potentially to stiff arm you where right now, maybe they're even sensing it, sensing it. They can feel your Holy Spirit moving and they're like, no, 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 not that, not that, not that, not that. God, break their arm, metaphorically speak. Help them to see that this is exactly that. That's what they need to give up for the next 42 days to fast from 
So God, I pray that you would lead us during this time. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the promise of sending your Holy Spirit to guide us. We're not in this alone. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.